0: The Veteran Necromancer Teaches the Greedy Party a Bloody and Valuable Lesson Currently in a 3.5 campaign, my DM is a pretty great one, but the current cast of players leaves something to be desired. All are either first timers or folks who have only ever played 4e, so there is some system shock to get over. The DM confides in me that I can make whatever build I want, since she will be protecting the newbies and throwing reasonably hard encounters at me. So, I decided to make a Necromancer, specifically a hyper-durable, impossible-to-kill Necromancer that will enable me to survive any insane crap the party, in its folly, drags me into. I decided to specialize in rays so that I can hang in the background and let the new players enjoy the spotlight. I make judicious use of spells like Ray of Enfeeblement and Clumsiness, which allows me to debuff like a boss and help the rest of the party shine. I slowly grow in power, hoarding as much magic as I can. The campaign progresses and the other folks who initially created unique Snowflake Mary Sue characters are actually starting to work as a team, providing support for each other's abilities and tackling things with something akin to competence. And then they got greedy. It was a relatively hard fight, ending with a rather masterful round of combat from our cleric who murdered several high-level combatants and their undead minions with a greatsword and a nasty combination of touch spells. The party is dividing the loot and claiming bits of choice treasure, when finally, the pixie scion turns to my quiet, unassuming human necromancer and demands a slice of my loot, saying that I did nothing during the struggle to take the tower, so I didn't deserve a full share. Now mind you, I had been reliably performing my job as party troubleshooter and general helper. I stripped away the arcane protection of the crazed mage in the basement, I had gotten us through several traps of arcane nature, used huge amounts of combat control magic during our struggle to the top level, and, in the final struggle, I had turned the rather impressive stat lines of the leaders into something you would expect from a first level gnome commoner. Needless to say, I was less in game for losing the small mountain of coins, scrolls, and gems that my labors had earned me. After I politely refused to hand over the loot, the Scion threatened me with force. A quick intervention by the NPC guide who led us there averted anything serious, but I knew that my time with this group had finally come to an end. Our characters split up, vowing to all assemble the following day to ensure the handoff of the tower to our generous employer and to agree on loot distribution. The following morning, we all assembled in the entryway of the tower to show our boss what we had claimed for him. After around 10 minutes of real-time haggling, we received roughly 60% more than we had originally been promised and now we were looking at a pretty sizable chunk of cash. In fact, if all those gold pieces had been melted down, they could have formed a mass the size of a rather large sedan. I had hoped that this would slake the greed of the party, but now the rogue and sorcerer had sided with the Pixie and were insisting that I should only be awarded a cut of the payment from our employer, and not a share of the swag we acquired when storming the tower itself. After again refusing, the Pixie, in what I am sure she thought was a stroke of brilliance, said that we could all work it out the next day since we had to remain to guard the tower until the merchant's guards and mercenaries arrived to take over stewardship. Spotting the obvious trap, I reasoned that this might actually be the best way for me to survive the inevitable assassination attempt. The rest of the party knew that I had a small sanctum somewhere, just six or seven rooms underneath a tavern in a small city that were so heavily warded with magic and traps that a demigod couldn't have entered if I hadn't wanted him to. Naturally, I had to put up a little fight until finally letting the pixie's words sway me into staying. I took a small cloistered bedroom near the top floor as my own and retired early. To sell the illusion of my death, I knew that I would need to make it believable to the party. My plan was to let them assassinate me and then catch them talking about it to ensure that no one would complain that I metagamed it. Then I would unleash my fury and it would be truly monstrous to behold. For a start, I warded the room with several castings of alarm, the door, the window, etc arcane lock on the door, fire trap on the lock itself and then several castings of icicle, an explosive runes or two, and a sepia snake sigil on my fake spellbook. These magics were relatively low powered as I wanted their assassination attempt to succeed, but I needed to give them the impression that I was cautious. The key to the plan was casting clone, several heightened illusions, and rope trick. When all things were ready, I popped off into my extra-dimensional space and hoped that the party would fall for my plan as within my pocket dimension, I would be unable to affect the world I was leaving behind. So I crossed my fingers and waited. I couldn't have planned it any better. The sorcerer dispelled my magic on the door and several of the traps, while the pixie undid the others. The rogue proceeded through my traps with ease, snuck upon my sleeping body and murdered me with a vicious sneak attack in my sleep. The contingency illusion kicked in, my inanimate clone twitched and coughed and breathed its last breath. They knew I never went anywhere without my spellbook. And when the rogue was paralyzed by the book I had left the sorcerer to cast Reed Magic and confirmed it for arcane script. They clapped themselves on the back and went off to begin to divide up my share. The pixie made judicious use of psionic disintegrate to hide all the evidence in the room, and they considered themselves both more clever than I. My looks of shock and horror, numerous attempts at out-of-character pleading, and some rather heated words with the DM sold the act. The looks on their faces when I teleported into the main hall the next morning were priceless. You know what's a fun class? Incantatrix, The vast number of metamagic feats really give a player a lot to work with. The cooperative metamagic had also really helped the party as I had chosen evocation as a banned school to further restrict myself and ensure that our sorcerer and pixie, the latter of whom was a kineticist, got to hold the nuke slot on our team. But it really shines when paired with a certain feat, Arcane Thesis. This feat reduces metamagic spell level adjustment by one, making this like Empower cost plus one and quicken plus three. At 10th level, an incantatrix gets an unlisted bonus that does effectively the same thing. They also can add metamagic to spell a few times a day without increasing its level. This was about to pay massive dividends. Even as the party was recovering from shock, I was casting. I had taken the time to hulk up in my room, prepping with all the usual goodies. Haste, improved mage armor, greater mirror image, blur, really all the goodies. I had almost cast Improved Invisibility too, but I decided against it, as I also wanted them to bear witness to what their greed had caused. They asked exactly what they were seeing, and the DM turned to me. Throughout the whole campaign, I had been the voice of caution, reason, and moderation. I often backed off from more dangerous activities, citing fear and self-preservation. My response? I looked supremely and unshakably confident. My hands clasped around the metamagic rods. My first spell was devastating. After all, I did have them all surprised, and ranged touch attacks are easy when the target is flat-footed. A chained, quickened, empowered, split-ray innervation seemed like a brilliant leadoff. They looked confused. The casters in the party were dazed. After all, the sorcerer and pixie had never paid too much attention to anything that didn't specifically mention damage dice. The cleric had mainly focused on buffing herself in her role as a combat monster. The growing horror on their faces, as the DM explained to them what level drain was, tasted of the sweetest ambrosia to me. I decided that the first to die would be my killer, the Rogue. Now our Rogue was rather well built, with some gear I had shared with him to improve his abilities. It also meant nothing now. People may argue that 3.0 and 3.5 was wizard edition OMFG WTF and some may argue that it is more balanced. All I know is that for someone who has played since he first found a torn player's handbook in the clearance bin during the 6th grade, wizards can be a terrible thing. My use of a scroll of Mordenkainen's disjunction and the maximized reach shivering touch provided by Haste proved that. The party was somewhere between fury and pure panic as initiative was rolled. The rogue was having trouble grappling with the fact that his character was currently a drooling mess on the floor, paralyzed and unable to do anything but exhale. I was calm. I had, after all, brought my A-game to this scuffle. I want initiative with ease, gloves of dexterity do more than just make you good with rays, you know. I then slapped the cleric with an empowered twin ray of clumsiness. I told her that her character slumps to the floor before the DM did. While she responded with something akin to rapid onset rabies and the DM looked at me like I was overstepping the line, I explained that 2d6 plus 10 times 1.5 dex drain is a real downer. Wanting to hold back any more really big spells, unless the sorcerer or pixie threw something crazy at me, I slapped the fighter with a finger of death. Now, he would have had trouble with the DC-25 will save, even without the negative 9 penalty for my innervation. As it was, his look of shock as his character simply stopped breathing tasted like aged wine. I reigned in my bloodlust. I knew the intoxicating power of player versus player combat, and I readied my next action to counterspell the first thing the last two players might throw at me. They were rapidly exchanging words, but it didn't matter. There was blood in the water now, and I wasn't even close to being done. The pixie did exactly what I knew she would. The words psionic disintegrate hadn't left her mouth and I was already laughing. After the DM explained that she no longer had access to those powers, I laughed harder. She spat out the name of some direct damage power and as it blew apart three of my mirror images I simply smiled. She turned on her racial invisibility and I knew that my bloody harvest was almost into its final act. The sorcerer, for once thinking with a tactical mind, threw a dispel magic at me. I counterspelled with my own dispel magic and looked for what horrors I had left in my prepared spells. My first order of business was to again call upon my metamagic rods and cast a quick and true seeing, bringing that filthy pixie back into view. A chained empowered split ray twin ray of enfeeblement lashed out, putting both of my deliciously low strength opponents on the floor. A quick jaunt over to the cleric and my boot knife opened her throat. It seemed far more seemly than casting extract water elemental. I took a moment to survey my handiwork. Three turns after I had appeared, the entire party had been neutralized. With an almost shuddering breath, I exhaled and blew out my battle lust. The first stage of my plan was now complete, and the remainder would require a clear head. With something akin to a flourish, I opened my Heward's Handy Haversack and grasped around for the correct spells. Now let me explain a little bit about Necromancers, specifically, wizards specializing in necromancy. It is not, as many people think, the way to a skeleton army. That is for clerics with a narrow selection of domains and a few feats, who are capable of having around 8 times their hit dice in undead with the correct builds. Neither is it for the creation of undead dragons or similar huge nasty bruisers. That falls solely on the shoulders of the Dread Necromancers, who can do some nasty stuff in that department. No, Wizard Necromancers deal primarily with save or die spells, focusing on the soul, a character's physical attributes, and the always effective fear effects. Strange now that I try to remember it, but there is a metal mentioned in a random splat book that captures the souls of those who die close to it. The name presently escapes me. The joy of the spell True Creation is that it can bring into existence specific materials, and it was with a few of these scrolls that my left hand emerged from my bag, along with the scroll of Fabricate. Narrating all the while, I began to cast these scrolls. A quick casting of Animate Dead brought the lifeless fighter and cleric back to life to drag their still-breathing companions into the now-assembled cages, and I commanded the lifeless zombies to slay their former companions as I munched on an apple and a cheese wedge that the cleric had intended to have for a breakfast. The wine was warm, but a quick casting of prestidigitation cooled it to my liking. Throughout the campaign, our DM had allowed me to use the wonderful souls in lieu of XP system of item crafting once I had graduated to a high enough level to take advantage of such things. My ring of mind shield had been paid for entirely with the soul of a rather powerful genie Pasha, and I made sure to mention this to the powerless survivors of my arcane Blitzkrieg. Once all was ready, I ambled over to our, sorry, my treasure hoard, which the others had kindly dragged down into the dining room and with the help of my raven familiar, selected several of the largest gems. Another dip into the haversack for the correct scrolls, and my final round of casting for the day began. Trap the soul is a wonderful spell, and it was with this that I captured the very essence of my former companions, ripping their shrieking spirits out of their bodies. A quick casting of disintegrate and a shadow evocation gust of wind to help me clean up, and I was done with plenty of time to spare. I retired to the main gate to read a tome from the tower's library and had my zombies serve me some more wine after they had finished loading all the treasure and all of my former companions' equipment into several bags of holding. Going over my inventory, I realized just how much I had tapped from my scroll library and resolved to set to correcting that problem once I returned to my sanctum. The merchant's guards arrived as I was finishing the fourteenth chapter, and after a few quick pleasantries, I relinquished control of the tower to them, took the chests of gems and platinum trade bars, and bid them all a good day. It would take several weeks, but the fighter and the cleric would eventually be revived by friends of theirs. The fighter left a note at a tavern we used to frequent, and it was something akin to mild embarrassment, asking that I return his gear to him. The exchange was generally pleasant, and I reimbursed him for casting the limited wish to raise his con score to what it used to be. I explained my need to be sure of my victory, and even offered to cut him back in on his share of the loot if he wanted to join back up again. He declined and went off to become a minor lord along the trade roads, where he eventually came to rule a small barony and had a pile of kids as he grew old and fat. The cleric was another matter, incensed at her death by my hands, she spent the better part of three months trying to find where my sanctum was. She finally gave up when she actually had her greatest success. My sanctum was lined with lead and covered in so many abjuration spells that I couldn't even remember what half of them did. Her attempts at scrying upon me got her nowhere until I had to make a short jaunt to a major port city for components for the creation of some magical items. She just happened to be scrying at the right time to trigger my scry trap, a wonderful spell that directs a nasty amount of feedback at anyone who tries to scry against you. Specifically, it directs it back at the eyes. That more or less ended her active attempts to track me down for revenge, although her grudge did eventually shift the views of her church. As she aged, she found herself as a mid-level authority in what had once been a small, regional faith with no views on undead and necromancy. Her zeal and force of personality changed that, and now what was once just a small sect is perhaps the biggest sponsor of undead-hunting crusaders and slayers on the continent. I occasionally still send her holiday cards, just to keep her blood up. As for myself, I would eventually achieve lichdom as I felt the icy cold fingers of death catching up with me. By that point, my lair had grown to something that would have made Aloe Care jealous, and the first wave of defenses, traps, and minions could have stonewalled Pun Pun. I was nothing more than a spell-stitched corpse, bleached bones and two points of light for my eyes. I continued my arcane studies for decades, plumbing the depths of the Underdark for the Outer Planes, matching wit and spell with the best of them. The DM ended the campaign with those little afternotes. The session had gone late, and it was around 1 in the morning. I had to work in a few hours, and I knew I would be miserable. But I couldn't help but chuckle and smile sheepishly at everyone else around the table. Their looks were somewhere between blind fury, mild amusement, and confusion, as if they really couldn't believe that dozens of sessions and hundreds of hours had ended in this. I opened another bottle of water and pulled a half dozen character sheets from my bag, fresh and crisp except for the line of player names, where I had taken the liberty to jot down the names of everyone at the table. I was pretty surprised when almost everyone said that yes, they were very interested in what my campaign would be. Complete and utter humiliation. That's what happens when a group of newbies get big heads and don't show respect. I guarantee the other players weren't expecting that to happen. Have your games ever resulted in your party turning against one another? Or have you managed to outsmart your greedy party members that didn't want to play nice? Please let us know and comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, All Things DD. Our next video will be posted in 3 days, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content.